0: Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we talk in-depth with everyday people about their fears, their challenges, and their triumphs over mental health. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and today we are going to be talking about stress and a work-life balance. I'm excited to be joined by Tanya Brockett, an author, editor, and business owner. Prior to starting her own company, Tanya worked as the director of the Central Virginia Small Business Development Center and served as an adjunct instructor at the University of Virginia School of Continuing and Professional Studies. Tanya just celebrated her 27th wedding anniversary with her husband, and they have three daughters. Welcome to the podcast, Tanya.
1: Thank you, Candace. It's a delight to be with you today.
0: Well, I'm excited about our upcoming conversation. Um, And as a wife and a mother of three daughters and a business owner, I imagine you've had your share of stressful moments. Absolutely. (laughs) Do you recall, we're gonna go a little bit back pre-pandemic because mental health and the mental health crisis existed prior to the pandemic. Can you talk about one of your most stressful times in your life and how you managed to get through it?
1: Yes, I absolutely can. Two of them come to mind, to be honest, but the most recent and the one that really brings in relationships, work-life balance, being a business owner, being a mom, being a wife, all of that combined in this one cataclysmic time. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't mind me just delving into the story, I'll just jump right in. Please do. All right.
0: Well, we
1: had my family and I had moved into a home about a year prior to take on the care of my mother in law who had dementia and mm. that in itself holds challenges. I'm also you know now an Alzheimer's support group facilitator and I work with people all the time, month after month, who are dealing with issues of dementia and Alzheimer's and um, Lewy body dementia, which is what my mother-in-law was diagnosed with at that time. So that in itself was a challenge. But then we learned my husband had a congenital heart condition, a bicuspid valve that he never knew he had. And instead of a you know, having three valves, he only had two. Hmm. And it was failing. We had no idea that that was even a possibility. And so it was shocking and scary. And oh, my gosh, the prognosis meant that he had to have open heart surgery, you have to rip open your chest and your, you know, your rib cage, and you have to go under the knife and have somebody cut out your valve and stick in another one. And so the whole prospect was scary right by itself, right? Well, then you add to that, that he was working in a company that had no medical leave benefits. Ooh. that meant three to six months of no income from right. side, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was our most stable breadwinner because I'm an entrepreneur and sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, right?
0: <laughs> yep, I can relate.
1: So... That was already, okay, that's the first stressor. Well, the second stressor, he's got to have heart surgery. The second one is he's not going to have income for three to six months. The third one is, oh my God, I have to take care of him during this time and while he recovers. And wait, I have a business I'm supposed to be running. How am I going to do that? So that's two incomes down the drain. Now Mm. what? Mm. And then, oh my gosh, here she comes again. The mother-in-law who is running around the house with dementia. So all of these things (laughs) combined to be a very, very stressful time in my life. Plus I had three children that were in school.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And it's amazing that uh, you can recall it with a little bit of a sense of humor, but I imagine when you're in it, um, it wasn't always that funny it
1: was not. It was absolutely not. There were, you know, I put on probably a brave face most of the time. But the reality is, I was mortified. I was scared. I had absolutely no idea how I was going to get through it. So a couple of things came into play for me. One, you know, I rely on faith. I believe Mm -hmm higher power than myself and so I had to lean on that and say oh my what am I going to do please help me please help me so that's one thing so then the second thing was, I had helped a colleague and friend of mine years before when she had to have open heart surgery I created you know a crowdfunding campaign for her and very nice on the news and things like that. So I could try to help her through that time. Right. So I remembered that, Oh, maybe I can do the same thing for my husband. And so that is one thing that I put into play. I had to take action. I didn't have time to play around. So exactly. Also while taking my mother-in-law to a uh, senior daycare for a day, They suggested, hey, have you looked into respite care? I had no idea it existed. I had no idea that you could take um, a senior to a, what we told her was a spa for Uh a, Uh a few weeks and pay for her to be taken care of so that I didn't have to take care of her and my husband and not make money and everything else all at once. So that was a godsend, And I literally, I had days. I had days to figure out where was she going to go? How are we going to make it work? And all of that. It was, there was not a lot of time here. So I visited every center that I could find that would consider taking somebody on, especially somebody with dementia, right? It's not just exactly. this. Assisted living here. She needed to be watched because she would, you know, wander off and do all kinds of things if you let her. So I had to run around visiting all these places. At the same time, I was running around visiting medical supply companies to see what things I needed for my husband to recover at home. Oh, I was. Asking everybody I knew, have you, have you known anybody who had heart surgery? What kinds of things did you wish you had? What, how was recovery? What kinds of things do I need to have? Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to inform myself as best I can.
0: Let me interject here and ask you another question. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your entrepreneurship and ability to start businesses helped you to navigate this new area um, and find solutions?
1: I do. I do. Because with an entrepreneurial mindset, you are naturally more innovative and willing to take risk.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And as you know, being a fellow entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is very, very true. But on the other hand, as you pointed out earlier, there is the financial risk. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with a family such as yours, a husband, a mother-in-law, three girls, I would imagine that that was extremely stressful.
1: It truly, truly was. That was probably my greatest fear at that time, that we wouldn't survive it. (laughs) You know, I assumed for some reason that my husband would survive. I assumed that he would come through that surgery fine, even though we found out just before surgery that he also had an aneurysm that oh, in his aorta.
0: Crazy! <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: Um, and then even meeting people in the surgical waiting room who had horror stories of their people who had busted aneurysms, uh, aortic aneurys- aneurysms, and oh my gosh, Whew. So despite all that, I, I believe that entrepreneurship does help because you're willing to look for solutions, you're willing to try new things, you're willing to step out of your box a little bit more.
0: Right, let me ask you this. When did you first become an entrepreneur? I mentioned in the, in the intro that you had experience working in corporate America and also in the educational or uh, university level area. When did you become an entrepreneur and why? Wow. So I became
1: an entrepreneur, gee whiz. That's a good question. Probably around 2000, 2001. And so it's been over 20 years now. And as you said, I had been running the Small Business Development Center for the Central Virginia region. I'd worked with thousands of entrepreneurs to help them to start, grow, and harvest their businesses over the years. I'd worked with uh, gaining millions of dollars of investment for their companies over that time. So there was a lot I knew, but you know how it is when you can teach people things? But you don't always listen to yourself. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I do. I do.
1: uh, So the thought of starting a bit my own business after having worked for eight years helping others was a little bit daunting. But I still did my research. I still did my business planning. I still did my, you know, skills assessment. What do I really want to do? Even if the most common obvious thing is what I had been doing, you know, where are my skills, where are my interests, so forth and so on, and trying to come up with that Venn diagram of the the great intersection, right? And I went through everything that I tried to tell my clients to do and that I helped them through. So except for my case, I didn't need financing. So I didn't take I didn't go that route.
0: So you obviously had a lot of knowledge going into starting your own business. Mm-hmm. How did it change the family dynamics when you became when you started working from home essentially? as opposed to going to work, um, you know, going back to the whole idea of how do you create a work-home balance? Or- mm.
1: That has shifted throughout the past 20 years, because when I started, I started as working under contract for the state of Virginia. I was the first for-profit to do that for that particular purpose, and So most of my time was spent in their space, not in my own. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: However, I did have a room in the house that we were able to separate and use because we had an extra bedroom, essentially. I had a bonus room that I ended up using for my office. But then there were other times when, through the life of my business, that I actually rented office space. So when I had employees working for me, I had a place for them to work and so forth. So I've gone back and forth working in an office and working at home. Same boundaries applied for me. Here's something that a lot of entrepreneurs or small business owners in particular aren't always able to juggle is being at home and creating their boundaries. When I went into my office, in, when it was in the home, that was work. I'm off the clock at home. Don't ask me to look at a dish. Don't ask me <laughs> to you know, answer a doorbell for non-business related things. Don't, you know, Don't ask me to answer the home phone. I would only answer my business phone. So I shut the door to home life while I was in my office. And then when the day was over, I could open my office door and I was home again.
0: A lot of, as you say, entrepreneurs would have a hard time working from home, and obviously the pandemic has created that shift for, what, 20 months, most of mm-hmm. us were working out of our homes. Um, But it sounds to me like when you were at work, you were at work, and then after the day was done, just like a regular job, you then spent family time. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So, work? so do you think... There was a time that, or no, that your children had said something to you that they might've felt like they weren't getting enough attention? Absolutely. (laughs) My
1: (laughs) my children and my husband, like, you know, you're here and you're not even here. And, And that is true. There are times when it is challenging. You have, like, especially right now for me, many, most of my clients are not in my time zone. So I may have a meeting that doesn't even start until five because I'm talking with somebody on the West Coast. And it takes me into, uh, pushes me into dinner time for some people. We never ate dinner that early. So <laughs> that made it a little easier. Hmm. But but yeah, the demands was, are still there in non-traditional, not the eight to five kind of. What?
0: And speaking about non-traditional, your family is somewhat non-traditional. Um, you're a woman of color. I am. You're in a, uh, a biracial marriage with biracial children. hmm um, Do you think that, or did you encounter as either working in corporate America or working in your own business, racism or felt that you were being judged in any way?
1: All my life. All my life. Now, most people who know me, they don't see that. They don't see that face that says, you can't look at me or know me and call me a, a mad black woman, right? right. You can't say, oh, there she goes again. You can't do that because I work as professionally with those who don't agree with me than I do with those who do. If you can't accept me, oh, let me tell you. Candace, I have to tell you one story. Please. When I took on my job, when I first came to Charlottesville to work for a business consulting organization, (laughs) I was told that there may be some opposition to having... Mm be the consultant. Hmm. And I was like, okay. And let me tell you, I was the first woman hired for a full-time consulting job at that uh, entity. I was the first Black person, let alone first Black woman. So, oh my goodness. So I come in and there's this PhD from the University of Virginia who had, you know, intended to come in and meet with the with a consultant to speak about a, a business to um, a transference of technology issue. I had done tech transfer at the University of Maryland at the Dingman Center for Entrepreneurship prior to coming here. So I knew all about that. I work with technology businesses and manufacturing firms throughout the state of Maryland as the only one to do that for the state. So I knew that. So he comes in and he's like, what are you going to do for me? As if I were not good enough to lick his shoes, let alone try to tell him how to run Mm. a business or a tech transfer. Wow. Well, let me tell you. By the time that man left my office, he was asking, "When can we meet again? When can we
0: meet again nice so it's I, really it's really like sad just sorry to cut you off there, but it is really sad when people prejudge individuals based on gender, race religion, whatever it just it it always irks me so much and it's it's hard to talk about mm-hmm. so when you left that appointment, I mean, obviously he was excited to meet with you again and that's the positive, but did you kind of ruminate on the whole thing about how that encounter happened and how did that make you feel?
1: I have to say, Candace, that being black in America, I'm totally used to it. You see it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I've,
1: I've been the only black in an office of a hundred people I've been the only Black in restaurants, in in movies, in stores for all my life. So to have somebody look at me different, please. So (laughs) if you want to miss out on meeting an awesome, dynamic, smart, intelligent, fabulous woman, that's your problem. It's not mine.
0: Agreed. A hundred percent. But where did you gain this confidence that you have? Obviously intelligence and education and things like this and what you've gone through. But still, how did you become the confident person that you are today? And as I forgot to mention, you do speaking engagements in your own right and you also have a podcast.
1: I do. The Write Something Worthy podcast. And I absolutely love it. But I, Candace, I have to give the credit I believe to my mother my mother is a strong black woman in her own right my mother did the Rosa Parks thing standing up on a bus where she could be moved by a policeman who tried to yank her off Hmm. she stood her ground my mother is one who um, took her sons to barbers who said they didn't serve black people my mother was the one who moved into a community just so she could be treated like a human being um, reston when i was young and reston was an open community and their history is is fabulous but she moved us there so that we could actually be treated like a human being but i was one of like mm, five black kids in my elementary school, one of, you know, a few in my uh, middle school and so forth. So I've had to deal with being one of few for a long, long time. But my mother never allowed us to see anything but strength in her. She was the first Black realtor in that community. She's the first one to hit that million dollar sales club. First one, this. First one, that. She owned real estate brokerages. She, you know, hired other people. So, you know, I had a great example. I didn't realize it as I was growing up, mind you, you know, as a kid, you're like, yeah, what mom, whatever. But <laughs> as I matured, I realized, wow, what a strong, independent black woman she was.
0: I can say what a remarkable person and what a great role model she was to you.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I'm gonna kind of stay on this sort of topic of racism. Uh, you and I both live in the Charlottesville area. I think we can all remember the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, on August 11, 2017. Were you in town that day?
1: I was in town and it was, well, I was in Charlottesville. I was not downtown where the rally was going on. And that purpose. My husband was like, let's go down there and let's lock arms and let's stand up to these scumbags trying to come into our community. And I was like, yes, they are scumbags. Yes, they deserve to be turned around, but I'm not gonna be the one to do it. I didn't want... (laughs) I didn't want my children, who were adamant against them as well, I didn't want my children going down there and being harmed. And I didn't want to give them the opportunity to create or wreak any havoc in my family. So I chose to actually stay away, but I was certainly watching and I was mortified when, you know, just seeing the ignorance being exuded in my community was just very upsetting
0: It was extremely upsetting and i and I think it was an eye opener for a lot of people when I moved to Charlottesville back in eighty nine um, there were very few people women of color, men of color in high mm. paying jobs um It felt like there was very much segregation still. And, um, you know, it's a shame that events like this happen. They're still happening today, but we need more people to speak up. And, you know, I've attended some of the rallies. I did not go to that particular day because I was concerned about my safety. You could just see, you could just feel that some tragic things were going to happen.
1: They came to harm. Yes, they didn't come to just protest some stupid statue. as their excuse was, they yep. came, from, and I was not going to allow them to do that to me. Yeah, but we did go, and you know, other rallies and other events uh, in the years past, um, we have been there, we have marched, we have walked, we have, you know, we have been in the crowd. My daughter has even spoken at some of those. Wow. So, um, so yes, I, you know, I'm truly blessed. My three daughters are not only brilliant and beautiful and talented, but they are also strong, independent women.
0: Again, look at their mother. Yeah. Um, I have met them, um, as you know, and I, To the audience who thinks that this is just a mother bragging about her children, she's really speaking the truth. These are remarkable young ladies. So kudos for you because I was raised in a household where my mother worked, my dad worked, and I basically didn't have parents. Um, And when they were with us, um, it was more about telling us what we did wrong or whatever. So it was not at all a similar experience. There's a new show on TV I don't know if you've seen it yet where people swap houses from different cultures and different generations.
1: I've only seen the advertisements for it. I haven't seen the actual show.
0: Okay. I have not seen the actual show either, but I think the concept is great. We need to be able to walk in each other's shoes so we can continue to learn and be better human beings.
1: Mm, Absolutely. That is so true. So. I, I get the resistance though to that, Candace, because to be honest, I can't say that I want to go live in some redneck burg that has a bunch of people who act like those invaders of Charlottesville. I don't want to walk in those shoes. Yeah. I don't feel that hatred. I don't want to be walking around with blinders on, I don't want to be ignorant. I want to be informed. I want to be giving. I want to be uh, open and allowing to help people to become the best that they can. I don't want to be like that. So if I had to swap into that, I would have resistance.
0: I think most of us would um, have resistance. And that's a pretty uh, strong dynamic that you're setting up. I think in this particular show, there may be not quite that, level, but um, I think it's certainly food for thought. And speaking about thought, I want to ask you, besides your mother as a role model, who are some of your role models? Hmm.
1: You know, I find that to be a challenging question. You know, different seasons of your life, you have different influencers, right? Right. Um, One that jumps to mind right at the very moment is um, Julian Bond. Julian Bond was a member of the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s and all his life. He is a former president of the NAACP, all these other things. But he was my history professor. Hmm at the University of Virginia and I have his voice on tape for every class that I went to and to hear this man tell the facts the story as he lived it as well as saw it heard it etc and still have such a positive attitude was just phenomenal so it was great to be in his presence we i i thoroughly enjoyed his class we got to spend time outside the classroom all the time and it was just he was very influential and he brought great people in he is the reason that i got to meet uh, the late john lewis Ooh. um i got to meet great people being in that classroom and so anyway so he's one that stands out to me
0: doing a great job. I am so happy and delighted that you came to talk with us because you're always full of interesting stories and um, I am looking forward to doing this with you again as you and I know and now everybody in the podcast will know that you will be a regular guest slash host and have an opportunity to ask questions as well on one Friday, the last Friday of the month. So welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, with Candace and Tanya on Fridays. And for those of you out there, remember, every cloud has a silver lining.